Amen. Let's stand all over the house this morning. Let's sing this old hymn of the church, Glory to His Name.
So, oh, precious child, did that someone here today who cannot give, Lord, I pray at some point in time they would be able to give back for all that you've done for them. Lord, we, in, we know that you inhabit the praises of your people, so today, Lord, we come in this place to worship you, and we glorify you. Let every note that is played, song that is sung, be for the advancement and the glory of the kingdom of God. And for that, we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Christ's name we pray, and the people of God together said amen. 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 Will you come and greet one another at this time in the Lord?
Lord's been good to you today, say amen. amen. He's been good to me, I know that. Psalms 125 says, They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the people is round about the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands into iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace shall be upon Israel. People that do good have a hope. They've got a better place they're going to. People that don't do good, hell is only so hot. But you ought to be thinking about that. If you're not saved, uh, the Lord is for those that love him. It's easy for you to give your life to the Lord. And I don't understand why people want to make it so hard. Because all you have to do is ask forgiveness and believe in him and accept him into your heart. And you can talk to that man right there. He can give you prayers that I can't give you. But what I can tell you is if you'll trust in the Lord with all your heart, lift him up, accept him into your heart, and tell him, Lord, I'm going to do my best, absolute best, not to ever sin again. Accept him as your Christ. You'll be saved. He's promised that he'll do it. And his promises are true, and his promises last forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. There's lots of need prayer today. There's a lot of people that are sick, a lot of people that are out, some people that are working, some people traveling. All those need a touch from the Lord. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise your holy name, Lord, for this opportunity to come before you in prayer. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done. We thank you for your word which leads us. Lord, we thank you for the Sunday school lesson this morning about Paul. Lord, telling his testimony. Help us to spread our testimony to others, Lord about the goodness of God, about how you can accept Christ into your heart, Lord, and be saved. Help us, Lord, to spread that word to everybody. Help us to further your kingdom, Lord. I pray that you will be with us and keep us. Help us to make a joyful noise to you today. Be with the pastor, Lord, as he delivers the message that we can take your words into our heart and use them for this coming week for thy glory. Touch those that are sick, those that have lost loved ones, comfort them. Those that are working, I pray that you'll be with them and strengthen them. Those that are traveling, keep your angels round about them, Lord, and provide them mercy. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' holy, precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You worship with Sister Lila. She comes at this time to sing for us this morning.
the master. He promised sunshine after the rain. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. Don't you know the weeping only lasts? It lasts for the night. Hold on, my child. Joy comes in the morning. Don't you know the darkest hour means all? Oh, it's just inside. Anybody feel that way today? Praise the Lord. Your seed of trust in God and mountains that you cannot move. You have risked your life all things you you cannot prove. Oh, but to give the things you cannot keep for what cannot lose. Now that's the way to find the joy God has for you. So hold on my child. Joy comes in the stand all over the house this morning and let's continue to worship the Lord. Today we're going to sing a song that really is, comes out of the, if you will, out of the book of Psalms. It says, Blessed be the rock. He is the rock of our salvation so let's magnify the Lord. So let's worship together.
For from you are all things, and truly to you are all things, and you deserve the glory. Father, today we stand in the solemn assembling of ourselves together in your house, and we feel your presence today. God, I know there are quite a number of folks that are not here today for various and sundry reasons. But God, you're here, and that's all that matters. The main guest, or the guest of honor, is in the house. That's what matters the most. So, Father, we say welcome into this place. Welcome to your house. And thank you for your abiding spirit to be resonating and saturating us in your presence. God, as we get ready here in just moments away to break the bread of life and unfurl the holy pages of Scripture, let it be, God, not our words that are spoken, but your word that is heard. Because your word challenges, chastises, changes, and convicts the heart to where they come and become purified and cleansed by the washing of the word to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Thank you for the worship, how we have felt you in this worship service today. Father, I pray that everything that we say and do for the remainder portion of this service today would truly bring you glory and honor. And for that, Lord, I give you all the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name. And together the people of God said amen. Amen. While you're standing, if you will, grab your Bibles and go to the book of Ruth, chapter number 1. The book of Ruth, chapter number 1. Don't forget, we are in the middle still of our 2022-2023 leading up to 2024 church year of wanting to reach, disciple, pray, one person, family, community at a time. We want to reach people for the calls of Jesus Christ. There are lots of people that are out today for various and sundry reasons. Corey Burbage and his family are all sick. Sister Dale Clark is recovering from knee surgery. Sister Barnes is still real sick. Uh, 
Sister Glenda is recovering from surgery. Uh, Brother Brett Sawyer had to work. Sister Vanessa has migraines today um, and kind of really in, incapacitated due to those debilitating migraines today. And Kristen Sawyer is, and Corey Sawyer are not here because she's recovering from a procedure she had done. And so the list is endless of sick folk, recovering folk, folks that are still battling. But God's here. That's really all that matters. That's why we're here today. Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read a, first, a couple verses of scripture here. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem went to dwell in the land of Moab. Don't miss the word of God. If you are a highlighter or a note taker or a Bible you know, person, you should circle that word dwell. Because sometimes God never intended you, intended for you to dwell in places you're living in right now. Sometimes God never asked you to leave to start with. You're the one that left his presence and you're dwelling where he's not residing. And when you don't dwell with him, you're going to find yourself in a whole bit of trouble. He went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Can I tell you that sometimes your decisions not only affect you, but they affect everybody else around you. And you might eventually come out, but they may not come out of that sin that you led them to. And the name of this man was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab, and it doesn't say they stayed for a few days or a season. They remained there. They stayed put. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now in the fullness of time, they took wives of the women of Moab. God had already told the people of God when they were set free from Egypt, do not marry people that don't believe like-minded. Don't do that. They'll lead you astray. They took wives, the women of Moab. One was named Orpah. The other was named Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then Malon and Chilion also died. So the women, the woman, excuse me, was survived by two sons and her husband. Then she got up with her daughter-in-laws and she said, I'm going to go from this country of Moab. I wasn't supposed to be here. For I have heard that in the country of Moab that the Lord has visited his, his people again by giving them bread. Notice what she says to them. I never asked to come here. My husband led me here. This was never my plan. You've got to remember that day and time, that was a very mycogenic society. The, Unfortunately, there wasn't a bunch of women's rights back then, so you didn't get to vote. Your husband packed you up, moved you. He was the primary breadwinner. You just went. What she's really saying is, I never asked to come to a place that I don't have any family. I didn't ask to move away from my friends back home. I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't ask for my husband to die. I didn't ask for my children to die. I didn't get a vote in this, God. All I did was reap the repercussions of somebody else's decision. I'm not even the one that chose this life, but I'm the one having to now live this life. But she said, I, because now I have the ability to do something about it. I'm going home. 
I've heard God's visited his people and he's given them bread. I'm going home. I'm going back to where I know I belong, where my people are. Can I tell you God is still today calling men and women to come out of darkness into the marvelous light? God is still wanting people, and if they have wandered and they have erred and they have drifted away from the presence and the place of God's word, they've drifted away from church and they've drifted away from their relationship, God is still trying to tell those that are dwelling in sand in the land of Moab, he's trying to still tell his church, you can still come back home, I'm still visiting my people, you can come back home again. So I want to, with the Lord's help, for the next few moments, I want to talk to you on the idea of the power of alignment. The power of alignment. You better be careful. You listen to this preacher, but you don't get anything I'm about to say right now. You better be careful who you hit yourself to. Because the people with whom you align may be the people that make you take a fall that you weren't intending to take. You better be careful who you align yourself with. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, to the very best of my ability, help me to preach your unadulterated word to the people of God. Let it not be my words that are heard or spoken, but your word that is heard and spoken in this house today. Let everything that I say and do be for the advancement and the glory of Jesus Christ. Take a coal from the altar of heaven. Anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare what thus saith Almighty God to the people of God. And I will forever give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name. Together the people of God said amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. One of the things I... No, I don't know a lot, but one of the things I do know about cars is after so long driving a car, especially on roads that are uneven or have lots of uh, potholes or other issues with the roads, after so long they can cause your car to go what they call out of alignment. What that means is, is you could set the steering wheel straight and you can let go of it, but as soon as you let it go, the car starts going either to the left or to the right, depending on how the alignment of your car is out. The idea is if your car is in perfect alignment, you can go on a straight road that is perfectly straight and flat, and you can let go of the steering wheel, and for at least a, a little bit of time, the car will stay centered in the lane without pulling to the left or to the right. The Bible says Jesus told us any man that pulls is, is plowing and he decides to veer to the left or to the right instead of moving forward is not fit for the kingdom of God. He said you're supposed to keep moving forward. Don't veer to the right, to the left, but stay straight on the straight and narrow. And so if that car starts to veer one way or the other, it lets you know it's out of alignment. Now, you have a choice. Your choice is do nothing. And you have that prerogative. You can absolutely decide, you know what? The car still drives. I may have to turn the steering wheel left or right to keep it straight, but you know what? I'm going to drive it. You can. The problem is that the longer you drive it out of alignment, the more it makes your tires wear out unevenly. And before too long, you're going to find yourself when you go to get your, talent, your tires balanced and rotated, they're going to say, well, we really can't rotate them or balance them today because one of your tires is not the same as the front. If we move the front to the back and the back to the front, it's going to be all out of whack. We really can't do that. And you're going to have to buy all new tires when you might could have saved some tread wear and mileage on those tires only if you would have took the car to the shop and had it realigned. 
Can I tell you, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay. And it will leave you in places longer than you intended to stay. Because when you get out of spiritual alignment, you may feel like you can drive that spirituality for so long. But if you're not careful, there's going to come a day. It's going to cost you a whole lot more unless you'd have got realigned by God. Because the reality of it is, you can keep living any old way. You can live in sin. The Bible tells us there's pleasure in sin for a season. You can keep doing it, but the repercussions are pretty dire. The reality of it is, you can keep living any old way. In fact, some people, they can live just reading the Word of God one day a week, on Sundays or maybe two days a week, Sundays and Wednesday, and pray a little, now I lay me down to sleep, and they might think they're okay. And for a season, they might can live off of that, but when the rubber meets the road, that ain't going to be enough. See, the reality is, every so often in our life, it's not that we're bad people, but every so often it would do us good to get spiritually in realignment with God. We didn't mean to, but the cares of life drifted us a little bit to the left of the center of the line of God's will, or the life has pushed us a little bit to the right of God's will, and every so often we need to get back into the center of God's will. It's not that we meant to get to the left, and it's not that we meant to veer to the right, but sometimes we need to get back to the place where we said, God, if there's any wickedness inside of me, will you come and let me know, let it be removed from me, for a broken and contrite spirit, Lord, you will not despise. Open my eyes, Lord, if there's anything inside of me, Show me. Let me know. Sometimes it's good for us to get back in alignment with the Word of God. Can I tell you that in this story, it's a beautiful story in the Old Testament, but I don't want to look at it from Ruth's perspective today. Everybody preaches on Ruth, and maybe in time I'll preach on Ruth. Everybody knows Ruth's side of the story. But I want to preach from Elimelech's perspective, Naomi's perspective and Orpah's perspective. Because, in short, I can go ahead and give you a real quick synopsis of Naomi's perspective. I'm going to give it to you real quick. I can tell you what I could almost, if Naomi were here today and could share her testimony, Brother Randy in his Sunday school class today, I was talking about what is your testimony. I could almost tell you to the T what Naomi would say. Life was going good. My family and I went to church in town. My family, my extended family all lived close by. My sisters, my brothers, my cousins, my nieces, my nephews. We did July 4th cookouts. We did Memorial Day weekends. Life was going pretty good. But then something rocked our world that we didn't see coming. A famine. Some of you might be able to say things like, you know, life was going great pre-2019, but something rocked my world called COVID. It changed my life forever. In fact, in my own family, it changed my, our lives forever. My wife's father almost nearly, literally, almost nearly died from COVID. And to this day, he is still not the same. Now, and he is functional by all means. He's back to work and things like that. But the things he could do, the stamina that he had, how far he could walk and go on hikes and do things like that, he can't go so far and his oxygen will just bottom out. All because of the effects of Compromised immune system from COVID. I can hear Naomi now. I, I, I was, life was going good. A famine came. Everybody in town was struggling to make ends meet. Couldn't figure it out. My husband decided we were going to just move to another state. It was better in Tennessee than it was in South Carolina. We were just going to sell the house, pack it up, and go to Tennessee. We were just leaving. 
We were going to leave our family. We were going to leave our friends. We were going to leave our church. We were going to leave everything we've known because the grass looked greener on the other side. Can I tell you the grass that sometimes looks greener on the other side is not greener. It's a septic tank. And the only reason it's green is because there's a lot of you-know-what underneath it. You better be careful how you look at the grass because the grass ain't always greener on the other side for the same reasons you think it is. I can hear say we got there and we kind of settled in Moab. For a season, life seemed to be okay. I thought the plan was not to stay there very long. We were just going to ride out the storm and then go back home. My husband got sick and he died. But I still had my two boys. They could watch after me because they worked. They could watch after me. They married. They married two girls. wasn't necessarily my first choice of women for my sons. But you know what? They, had, or they were grown adults. It was their choice to make. So I let them. But then my two sons died. I'm left with two pagan daughter-in-laws that don't believe like us, don't go to church like us, don't worship the same God we worship. They're they're not Pentecostal, they're not Baptist, they're not they're they're not you know Assemblies of God, Church of God. Brothers. They don't know anything about God. They don't know about the God I serve. They don't care. They're out. They're used to living a life of rousing and carousing and and living a life of sin. They don't even know about God. And I'm trying to be a a good influence on their lives. But I don't have a husband now. I don't have two sons. I've got these two daughter-in-laws. I didn't ask for either. I didn't ask for any of this. Everybody else bailed via the grave, and I'm stuck holding the pieces. Elimelech's perspective would have been this. I was just trying to help out. I thought I was doing a good thing. Boy, I wonder how many, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many women in the house has heard your husband at some point in time do something dumb or stupid, and his only response was, I was just trying to help. I was just trying to help you out. Why in the world would you do A, B, C, and D? What were you thinking? I don't know. I just thought I was helping. No, you weren't helping. It made it worse. Well, I thought in the moment it was helping. You know, Elimelech's perspective, I was just trying to help. I didn't want our kids to get hungry. Because what, in Elimelech's perspective, sometimes when life throws you uncertain curveballs and the enemy comes by and rocks your world, it'll make you make decisions otherwise you wouldn't have made. And the enemy knows that. So the enemy uses that to his advantage. Elimelech, I could believe, would say to you, I didn't mean for all this to happen. I thought I was helping, but what ended up happening is I originally thought we would only stay there for a day, for a couple of days or maybe a week or a month, and that, one, that certain amount of time ended up leading to 10 years of living away from God. Remember what I said? Sin will take you further than you want it to go. He only planned on going there. One translation says that, that Elimelech went to sojourn. To Moab. That means he was just going on a trip, like vacation. The King James doesn't say sojourn. The King James says he went to dwell there. It means he had no intentions of coming home. You look in, in, in other translations of the Bible and and uh, and and like Nazbi and other ones, they'll they'll say things like so sojourn. He was just going on a trip. The King James and the New King James, they say, no, he had no intention of coming home. He went to dwell there. He went to make permanent residency. He was trying to make a decision, a permanent decision on a temporary circumstance because famines don't last forever. I wonder how many people from 2019 to 2022 made permanent decisions to change their life forever based on the temporary circumstance of what we now call COVID. 
I'm not downplaying COVID. You listen to what I'm saying. But some people changed their life for something that eventually, like bubonic plague and everything else, would eventually give way to something else. There are people in this family of faith that came to this church pre-COVID religiously. As soon as COVID hit, they stopped going to church because of fear and terror. And to this day, they won't leave their house because fear still grips their heart because they're afraid, what if I get something that nobody knows is coming? Fear has grabbed them. The reality of it is the power of alignment. Now, let's, for a brief moment, let's look at Orpah's perspective. Orpah and Ruth are there together. Naomi tells them, I'm going home. I've done this long enough. I've been here long enough. I've, I've, I've lost my sons. I've lost my, my, my husband. Even if I were to get pregnant, married today, and get pregnant tonight, you ladies aren't going to wait 20 plus years for my son to grow up to be able to marry him. You're not going to wait. You're still in the prime of your life, your youth. You wouldn't wait. Why don't you go back to what you know, Moab? Don't do like me. I left my family. I left my friends. I left my home. I left my church. I left everything, and look at what that got me. Don't follow my example. Why don't you go back? At least be close to your family. Let your mama and your daddy be there for you during this tragedy. Let your grandparents be there for you during this one. Find you a lovely man that will love you and get married and have children. And, and, and why don't you just go make the best of your life? Don't come be bitter and miserable like me. At first, both of them says, no, 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 no. We're not going to leave you. We can't do that. You know, you're part of a family now. We're family. We can't do that. She tells them that one more time. No, really, you should you should make a life for yourself. It didn't take much coercing or convincing for Orpah. Orpah immediately says, okay, sounds good to me. Kisses her, and we never hear about Orpah ever again in the Bible. Go read it. You'll, after she kissed Naomi and went back to Moab, the story completely ends on Orpah's life. But you do find in the remaining portions of the book of Ruth, Ruth made a decision too. Ruth decided, no, 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 no. I can't explain this, but there's just something different about you, Naomi. For the last 10 years that I've lived with your family and married your son, I, I noticed how you got up in the morning and you prayed to a God I didn't understand. And I noticed how you would read the scriptures about a man and a God that created heavens and earth that I didn't understand. And how you served a God that you you knew that you weren't sure why all this was bad stuff was happening. But even in the midst of all this, you, you tried to still try to understand. I don't understand it either, Naomi, but there's something about you I I can't understand, but I want to know more about this God that you serve. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If when you walk through desert places and trying times in your life, that people would walk by and say, I don't know how you did it, but please tell me about the God you're serving because I don't know how you're doing what you're doing. Ruth saw something in Naomi to say, I can't go back. I'm you, I've lived in Moab. My life was miserable in Moab. There's got to be something better than this life. I'm not leaving for it. And she made a declaration that has been echoed around the world, probably one of the most prophetic utterances she ever said. She said,
says, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. What she's saying, your family is now my family. But don't miss the last thing she said. I don't know anything about your God, but your God is now going to become my God. I'm telling you, we've got to get back to the place whether people understand what the Bible means or not. They've got to see something inside of us to say, whoever it is, the God that you serve, I don't understand him, but your God's got to be my God. Your God's got to be my God. Your people have to be my kinds of people. We've got to give them something that they want to be attached to. And because of that declaration, Ruth's life was forever changed. Orpah made a decision to align herself back with the world. And we never hear her story ever again. But Ruth made the decision to align herself with God. And it changed her life. Can I tell you, you can choose to align yourself with the world. But there is a way that seems right unto man, but that way leads to destruction. But they that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as of eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not faint. Wide is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. He who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it to the very end. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm telling you, it may not always be easy, but if you align yourself with God, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. So what do, I, what do we see in this? Well, the first thing I want you to understand is this, there's a problem here. The problem is there's a famine. You see, in America, we don't understand famine. Third world countries understand famine, but we don't understand them. We haven't really lived, you know, in, in most of our lifetimes in here, we've never lived where it's really hard to be starving for food. The worst thing most of us in this room's ever experienced is when the Weather Channel said we might get three flurries of snow in December. Everybody goes to Walmart and buys all the bread up because they think they're going to be snowed in with three drops of snow. That's the worst you've ever famined. That's good preaching, even if you're not Pentecostal today. You know that's true. Some of y'all were the ones that hoarded the bread. The closest thing we've ever come to a famine is a COVID hit. You couldn't find toilet paper and hand sanitizer, and we thought the world was ending. Hello, preacher. Don't y'all remember this stuff? I remember. You had to ration toilet paper. You had to barter. I'll give you a bottle of hand sanitizer for a roll of toilet paper. It was like bartering and trading. You were thankful for all those people that were hoarders because they had plenty of it. You used to judge those people on TLC watching those shows. Now we wanted to be their next-door neighbors. We wanted the junkyards. They had more than we had. But the reality of it is we don't understand famine. But if I talked about sickness like cancer, economic depression, if I talked about things like COVID, we could all relate to what that's like. In the famine, people were dying. Children's stomachs were swollen. Parents were eating their young. We find out in Scripture throughout the Bible there were times in famine, people would, would literally eat each other's children to survive. We've never seen that here. We see stories in the Bible like in 2 Kings chapter 6 where they're selling the heads of donkeys and they're selling the, the waste or the dung of doves to try to survive on food, paying top dollar for it. Famines were caused by drought, no rain. Ground was crying out for water. 
There were midnight moans of hunger, crying children, fathers felt depression, and not being able to provide for their children. There was a lot of stuff going on. Can I tell you, America, we got our problems, whether you believe it or not. We got problems. The Republicans, the Democrats, the Independents, the Tea Parties, the No Parties, the whoever they are, they're not going to get it all fixed because we got problems bigger than a political arena. We have a sin problem. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I don't care how many gun laws you pass, and I know I live in Berkeley County, so I'm walking on treacherous water, but I don't care how many gun laws you pass, the bad people are still going to find a gun. So you can pass all you want to, come confiscate my ammo, come confiscate my gun all you want to, but criminals don't go through the database system to find out if they can purchase a gun. They buy it on the black market, so they don't have to go through the database. So you can register us all you want to, but the bad people are still going to get it, and there's still going to be violence, there's still going to be... Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Bullets don't kill people. People kill people. We don't have a governmental problem. We don't have a political problem. We have a sin problem. If our people, if my people will turn from their wicked ways and seek my face and repent, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. It's not about the government. It's not about even the church. It's about God's people saying, we know where sin abounds. Grace much more abounds. And we must preach that God is still a God that overcomes sin. That's the problem. That's the problem. But then there's a place. There's this place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrathah. The word Bethlehem literally means the house of bread and the place of praise. Bethlehem was a city in the Bible known as a land or a city of plenty. It was a prophetic place. 1,300 years after this time, God would visit Bethlehem again with bread called the bread of life when Jesus himself would be born in a stable on the backside of Bethlehem. It is prophetic that the house of bread would one day be the place where the bread of life would come to life. That baby would not just feed physically the world, but he would feed the hungry, starving world with manna from heaven that no one else had ever experienced. In John 6, the Bible tells us that Jesus described when he was feeding the 5,000. He said, I am the living bread that have come down out of heaven. I'm the one that will satisfy you. He is the bread. He who chooses to reveal himself to the world. Can I tell you, God still desires to feed his people with his living bread. He has given us what we call the written word. Jesus said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of one and only begotten, full of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came down, but his written word tells us how God wants us to live. He wants us to distribute his words. I believe God is still, even in this day and hour, drawing attention to the world back to the church. And it's our responsibility to produce bread. Can I tell you, people don't come to church to see how beautiful your decorations are. They're looking for bread. They don't need to come hear your preference in music. They're here for bread. They don't need to see how elegant or charismatic your preacher is or how dull he is. They need bread. Can I tell you it's a sad place when the people of God come to church together and people come from visitors and the highways and the byways. We can 
compel them to come. It's a sad day when they finally show up for church and when they leave, they leave here just the same way they entered. I'm like the old song, you don't need to leave here like you came in Jesus' name. You can be bound, oppressed, tormented, sick, or lame, but the Holy Ghost of Acts is still the same. You don't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. I, I'm telling you, I've been to places where people say, oh, you should come to my church on Sunday morning. And they might be weeks or months to pass by, but one Sunday morning that person did show up to church. But oh, how sad it must have been when they walked into that church. But the singing may not have been the best, and the preacher may not have been the best, but they left still in sin because nobody spoke to them. Nobody acknowledged them. The presence of God wasn't felt in the room because Ichabod was written over the door. I'm telling you, if you invite people to this church, you better believe you better be the one worshiping when you get here. Because what if one Sunday Sister Sally shows up at your recommendation or Brother Jim shows up at your recommendation? We need to be a place when they walk into the room, they say, I don't understand the God these people serve. But I know something's different in the atmosphere. When I put my wheels on the gravel parking lot, something got a hold of me. Something changed in my life. We must be the place where people find bread in the house of God. They have to come and find bread. It has to be sad when they a sad time when they walk in here and they come in here looking for something and we've got nothing to offer. What a travesty. What a false representation of God. We must produce it. We also understand there's a predicament. Elimelech didn't know what to do. But I'm not here to talk about Ruth and Naomi's famine. I want to draw your attention to Amos chapter 8 verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but for hearing the words of the Lord. If you don't believe we're there, you have been living under a rock for far too long and you need to get out of your bunker shell. Because most people don't want you to preach God's word because they don't want to be challenged, chastised, changed, convicted, or have to be responsible to what happens when they hear the word of God. The problem is they don't want you to preach on sin because if you preach on sin, now they're responsible to confront their sin. They don't want that. They don't want you to preach on living in an extramarital affair or living shacking up with somebody or drinking or smoking or carousing. They don't want you to do that because they like to be able to still sing on the praise to teach the kids Sunday school class and be on the church council by doing that. So they want to say, Pastor, you don't need to be preaching about people smoking cigarettes. and You don't need to be preaching about people drinking alcoholic beverages. And, and you don't need to be preaching about people that have, you know, you know, a mistress here or there, you know, because, you know, brother, that might offend some of the people in our church. Well, honey, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I come to bring a sword. He said, I come to divide mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. I'm not here to purposely offend you, but I'm telling you the word of God is still forever true whether we like it or not. Not one dot, not one tittle changes. I didn't write the book, so I don't get to change the narrative. It's what God's word says. I've come by to tell you today, you can't just live any old way and do any old way and get to heaven. The only way there seems to get to heaven is you got to be holy, spotless, and a pure, spotless, unwrinkled, unblemished bride of Christ. You only get to heaven by Jesus Christ because he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life but Jesus also said be ye holy as I am holy says the Lord there comes a way we've got to live the right way we've got to walk the right way we've got to talk the right way we've got to sing the right way we've got to preach the right way we've got to live the right way we've got to make sure that we know we're going when this time wraps up the reality of it is people don't want to hear the word of the Lord because if they hear it they're responsible to it there are more pastors in the in the world more, more likely than, than not, and more than in the United States, we want to realize that are more crippled by what they can preach because of the dollar that's funding them behind the pews. 
because brother so-and-so in the back says, Pastor, if you start preaching on alcohol and social drinking, I'm going to quit coming to your church because you know I like to have a little bit of alcohol throughout the week. So you preach on that, I'm going to make a stink. So the pastor stays away from those bloodshot eyes and taut, you know, red eyes and drunkenness. He don't want to preach on that. And sister so-and-so is leading children's church and she smokes more cigarettes than the cigarettes company can produce. She literally comes to church smelling like old spice, new spice, no spice, and all spices mixed together because she's put everything in the kitchen on because she wants you to think that she didn't smoke before she got out the car. Her car has more of a haze than the temple of the Holy Spirit in the tabernacle because it's filtered with smoke inside the car. And she's teaching children's church, or she's teaching the youth department, or she's somewhat high, and people say, well, Pastor, you don't need to, you know, Pastor, you got to be careful, you know, you don't want to offend her, you know, she teaches that children's church over there. Yeah, but I don't want my son to think smoking's okay. See, so the reality of it is, I'm not here to bash your personal sins or whatever. That's between you and the Lord. I'm telling you, though, you just can't pick and choose what parts of Scripture you want to live. We're living in a day where people don't want to hear the word of the Lord. Elimelech panicked. Can I tell you, we don't ever have to panic because God will visit us. If you stay true to him, he'll make sure he comes by for a visit. You ever thought about this story? We find out later in this story. You know the story, how it finishes up. You ever thought about all the people that didn't leave Bethlehem, how they survive? They had to live the famine. How is there people to say, oh, that's Naomi. She left 10 years ago. We're glad to see her back. They didn't leave Bethlehem, so how'd they make it for 10 years? Something sustained them. I believe even though it wasn't written yet in Scripture because David hadn't penned it yet, but I believe they already knew what David, they, maybe they were the ones that taught David down the road. I don't know, but my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills for I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed ever have to beg for bread. I'm telling you, they may not have ever understood it then, but I'm telling you they didn't have to leave because they made little as much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame, for there's a crown and you can win it if you trust in Jesus' name. You don't always have to run to the next church across town because their preacher's a little more charismatic or their worship team gets paid a full salary because they're professional musicians. If you just stay where you're planted and bloom where you're planted, God can visit you right there. You don't have to always hop and bunny hop and trail here and there and everywhere. If you you still stay here. It may not always look pretty, but I'm telling you, if we stay true to God, God stays true to us. He stays true to us. Let me quickly finish. There's the pitfall. Everybody in the Bible had these moments. Elimelech leaves Bethlehem not trusting in faith, but trusting in flesh. Faith says, I see things that no one else sees. Believe in things, faith in the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith would have said, I'm staying in Bethlehem, though there's no bread. Because that's what God says to do. The flesh says, but the grass is greener on the other side. Noah was moved by faith, and he built an ark to save his family, even though no rain had ever fallen from a sky. Do you realize when God spoke to Noah to build the ark, as soon as he gave Noah the instructions of the ark, God was silent for a hundred years after that. Noah's building an ark for a hundred years with no more instructions. God says, I'm sending rain. It's coming. Build a boat. And Noah goes, okay, and that's it for a while. hundred years, he's just building boats. 
see, Elimelech's mind was made up. He had no patience. He was, he was worried. He was afraid. He made the bad situation worse. You see, I want to also tell you, though, but there's a product that ends up happening, a plan. The plan of God was you got to be careful. Be careful what you make to Sue's. Elimelech died there. His family died there. Everybody died there. But there's a byproduct of your decisions. Elimelech thought he was helping, but he led his kids to destruction. Now, I can't promise you, in the word of God, Ms. Carol, as you make your way, I can't promise you that if God, if Elimelech would have stayed in Bethlehem, I can't promise you he wouldn't have died. I can't tell you that. I don't know. I can't promise you that Malon and Chilean would not have died either. I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is, using this story in a more of an allegorical or metaphorical sense, I can see how when you get out of the plan and will of God, how other people can suffer the consequences of your ill-timed decisions. Because Elimelech's decisions not only cost him his life, but his boys died too. You may go for a season and living out in sin and deciding to fall from grace and do whatever you want to. And you may come to your senses one day and go, you know what, that was a bad idea. Let me go back to church. The problem is, for those years you did that, your children and your grandchildren may have watched you do that. And when you decide to come back, that's all well and good. They may not always follow you back home. Malon and Chilean followed Mama and Daddy to Moab, the land of the deserted, the land of no tomorrow, the land of, if you will, representation of sin. God told the people, you don't mix. You get over the promised land, don't intermix. Malon and Chilean followed Mama and Daddy, but they didn't come home with Mama and Daddy. Daddy died in the land of no tomorrow. Mama came home with nobody. And I, yes, your heart breaks for Naomi. Don't get me wrong. What I want you to also understand today is, but talking about power of alignment, you may go out there and you may wake up to your senses, but what is the devastation, the byproduct? What is the cataclysmic events that happen afterwards? Because the byproduct is they may not have ever seen you pray early in your marriage. They might have not ever seen you read your Bible early in their life. They may have only seen you live that wayward sin. Then you came to know Jesus. You started raising them in church, and they came to church with you for many years. They were in children's church. They were in, they were in youth groups. They were in ministry. They were doing all the right things. But something in life hurt you. A church hurt a, a marriage falling apart. Something happened and you decided that you gave up on God and you went back out to the world. Little Johnny and little Sally, they're all confused now because we were in church. We served God. We went to church every Sunday, Wednesday. Mama took us. Daddy, we did. Now Mama and Daddy don't go to church. They don't want to go to church. So what does little Johnny and Sally do? They think, well, if it's good for Mama and Grandmama and Daddy, that's good for me. And they get out of church. Well, about 10 years later, Mama and Grandma can't run away from it. They're like Jonah, that which was instilled in me. When I grow old, I can't depart. So in their 50s, Grandmama and Mama and Daddy all decide to come back to the church. And they come back. You know what they say to me? Preacher, pray for my sons and daughters that are lost. know what they're saying they're out there 
but I'm in here. What did they do? They never followed me back home. So what I'm trying to tell you is you, know, you can't go back and undo time. I get that. You may not can go back. Maybe, but I'm telling you, starting today, you better be careful of your decisions because your children and your grandchildren are watching what you're going to do, and they may not come back when you decide to come back. You may lead them to their Moab. You may lead them to their destruction. But when you lead them there, you might come back, but they may not come back the same way you did. Some of you in this room, you have teenagers. You have children in that back room back there. They're watching you. They're watching how you talk to your, mo- their, your spouse, to their mama or to their daddy. They're watching how you get up and interact in the morning. They're watching if you read your Bible ever. Oh, I can tell you right now, I never would put them on the spot, and I never would do this, but I guarantee you I could one Sunday march all those children in here, and I guarantee you they could tell me some things about your home life that you wish to God they didn't know. They'll embarrass you in a heartbeat. Well, you know, yesterday I heard Mom and Daddy screaming in the bedroom. You don't believe it? I got one. Brandon and I weren't even upset at each other she was in the shower and I was trying to talk to her so I was yelling so she'd hear me over the shower I walked out the room to take Micah to his mom on Friday and we were riding on the golf cart and the first thing he said is daddy why were you screaming at Miss Brianna what did she do and it hit me I was just trying to it was hard to hear me over the shower he thought I was screaming at his bonus mom I could pull them children in here today and they're brutally honest they'll say you know my, my daddy cusses at my mama when he gets mad you don't want me to know that but they'll tell you. My mama screams at my daddy and they get mad at each other. You know why? They're watching you. You're taking them to Moab and you're trying to come home, but they may not come back to Bethlehem with you. I know I'm taking a little time, but I'm telling you, I feel this. I'm going on vacation next week. I'm just getting it off my chest. I'm telling you, when that little boy sat in that golf cart and asked me why I yelled at his stepmom, his bonus mom, even though I wasn't yelling, it reminded me I can take them places and they'll see things and I might lead them astray and I might be okay, but they may not be when this is over. They may not be because of the product I've represented them. Now you listen to me carefully. What's going to happen when I know they're not here today because of other things, but what's going to happen when Madison graduates high school? Whatever Corey and Jennifer display to her is how she's going to go into her marriage, how she's going to view daddies and mommies. When Riley graduates high school next year, whether she goes to college locally or she travels off somewhere, she's going to mimic only what she saw Brandon and Tana do at home. That's her, that's her frame of reference. I'm not saying any of these people don't read their Bible or pray. I'm not saying they do or they don't. I'm not, but I'm saying she's going to only get that, and we don't have much time left with those. They're getting ready to go. Colton, McKenzie, Brantley, they got a few more years left, but they're watching to see what's happening around the door. You don't believe it, Brantley is probably the most observant kid I've got. He'll tell you anything you want to know. Somebody can visit church one Sunday. By the second Sunday, Brandon's at the front door saying, you came back, glad to have you. Last Sunday was your first Sunday. Why don't you come more often? He's the best I've got. Two weeks from now, that young man sitting on that back row is going to walk into a, a good educational place. But no pun intended, a hellhole when it comes to Christianity called the Citadel. 
They're going to rock his world. They're going to challenge everything he knows. They're going to be in his face. They're going to be training him. They're going to be, and they're not going to care too much about who Jesus is to him. But he better know who Jesus is to him because that's who's going to keep him through. But you know what? He's got instilled in him whatever those two people sitting on that far left corner back there instilled in him. Now, I can't help you reverse the hands of time. But I'm telling you on July the 9th, 2023, if you've got a chance to salvage it, you better make sure you don't take them to Moab and leave them there. You better make sure they see you come back to the house of bread. And you better make sure they see that you know the God. You better be like Naomi saying, I've heard God has visited his people again. You better make sure little, you better make sure Ashley and Mary, Mary should see that. You better make sure that Jordan sees that. You better make sure Colton and McKenzie and, and Riley and others, you better make sure they know you come to church. That's for me and my house. We'll serve the Lord, I'm going to worship. You better make sure they know you come to the house of bread. Because you may end up one day walking into my office and, and I open that door and you may look at me and say, Pastor, I don't know why my teenager ended up pregnant. They don't love Jesus. They're out there drinking their own drugs. They're shooting up cocaine and heroin. They're all messed up. They're all live. They're living with their boyfriend or they're living with their girlfriend out of wedlock. Pastor, I don't know where I went wrong, and I promise, I hope I never have to say it, and I wouldn't because I love you, and I wouldn't want to do that. But sometimes in my heart, I'm gonna probably think because you took them to Moab and you left them there because they never saw you bring them to the house of bread. Layla's, Abby's, Hadley's, Ramon, others, Micah, Brantley, Morgan, list is endless, Jackson's, you put any name you want to on it, don't you put them in Moab and leave them there. You know how I know this? And I'm done with this statement. Isaac was just a little boy. But he had heard the stories about how Abraham had went to the king, King Abimelech, and also to Egypt. Isaac heard the stories about how Abraham lied to Pharaoh saying that Sarah was his sister because he didn't want her to get killed. Isaac had heard the story how Abraham lied to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, because he didn't want to die and told him that they weren't family. About 50 years after that happened, Isaac shows up to that same Philistine area where Abraham had dug wells to King Abimelech. And you know, if you read the Bible, Isaac lied to the same man that his daddy lied to. You know how he did it? Because if it was okay for daddy to do it, it's okay for me to do it. What are you saying, preacher? You might can only drink one beer and hold it down and it not be a big deal because you know what? You can hold your alcohol. But little Johnny behind you might think, well, if daddy can drink a beer, it's okay for me to do it too, except Johnny don't drink one. Johnny drinks two because he thinks he's stronger than daddy. But then Johnny starts hanging out with his friends and he says, let me show my friends I'm better than that. And he drinks three. Before it's over with, Johnny's a drunk or Johnny's driving and drinking and driving. He gets in a car accident. You come running to the office 
and saying, Pastor, oh God, they're gonna, they got them arrested on a DUI and they're, they've got injury and we, we don't know somebody's life may be in the past. I don't know what went wrong. I do because the 4th of July you told Johnny he could drink because you had it in your koozie while Johnny was sitting on the boat with you or while Johnny was at the cookout with you. You saw it, he saw it, and he did it. Not trying to judge you. I'm trying to tell you it may be okay for you and your heart, but they may not return the same way. You listen to me today before we pray. You might not think it's a big deal now, but it might be to the next generation a bigger deal than you think. So you listen to me. My caution to you today is this. Even if you think it might cause them or to lead them on a pathway of destruction, even if you think it might hurt them down the road, let it go. Abstain from it. Don't lead them to potential danger. Jesus said, what man, if he had a son, would give him a serpent instead of fish and bread? If you knew it was going to harm him, what, why wouldn't you give? If your heavenly father, if your earthly father knows how to give gifts, good gifts, how much more so does your heavenly father give good gifts to those that love it? What I'm saying to you is, is it may not be a big deal to you, but save them from the heartache down the road. I don't want Micah to end up walking my road. I've walked hard roads. I don't want Micah to raise children in split family homes. I don't want Micah to marry a young lady. And I'm not saying it won't happen, but that's not my prayer. I don't want Micah to have to understand the challenges of multiple avenues of families. You know what my job is to do? There's a brown-headed, hazel-eyed young lady in that back back there that's wearing a white dress that has blue flowers on it with wedges. That when I get up in the morning, I want Micah every day, whether I kiss her on the cheek, whether I tell her good morning, I never want him to ever be able to say to me, Daddy, why were you yelling at Miss Brianna like that? Because I want him, when he marries his little Sally with Miss Susie, when, I, when he comes to me and says, Hey, Daddy, will you perform my marriage? Or, Hey, Daddy, will you be a part of my marriage ceremony? I want when they get married and they start to have children of their own and bring grandchildren to my house and do things like that, I want her to be able to look at me one day and say, Mr. Jonathan, thank you. And I, I say, for what? Raising Micah to love me like you loved his stepmom. So what's your story? What is your story? Every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm asking one question outside of the salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and the full pardoning of sin and you want to get it right with God, I want you to just slip your hand. If you don't think you're saved and if God should call you home today and you die and go to hell and you don't want to go to hell so you want to get saved today, if you don't know Jesus like that as Lord and Savior, just slip your hand up. I'll pray the sinner's prayer with you. Is there any today that says, I don't know Jesus? Is there any? All right. Here's my one question. I'm not going to tarry because I've taken too much of your time. What is that thing in your life that's driving you to Moab? That's got you a little off-center. You're not really in alignment. You, you're like Orpah. You, or you might be like Abimelech. You didn't mean for life to be this way, but it kind of just got you off track. You made some decisions. You made some, some bad calls. You didn't mean to veer that far, but it happened. You slightly got off course. It wasn't the way it was supposed to be. 
but you need to get back in alignment. Back with God. Back in the right center of His will. What is that thing that maybe you could see right now as I preached and I talked to you today? What is that one thing in your heart right now you could see is, oh God, I might be the one that sent my kid to Moab. I might be showing them things that's going to be destructive for them down the road. I got to let that stuff go. I got to give it up. I can't let them see it like that. I got to show them the right way. What's that thing? I want you to do is I want you to give it to God whether it's alcohol, drugs, whether it's bad decisions, whatever it is, whether it's you're not showing them enough of God in their lives, whatever that is that got you off course, off center, whatever it may, you get it right today. Get it right today. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed still, I'm going to ask you if any of those things have crossed your mind, you know there's something in your life you need to adjust to get centered You know there's things in your life that's out of alignment. Or there's certain things that you're doing to lead your kids or your grandkids or spiritual people on a bad pathway. And you know it's not good and you need to get some things, basically a course correction. You know there's some things in your life with no one looking around. I just want you to lift your hand so I can pray for you today. Where are you? Anybody today say, Pastor, this message spoke to my heart. It was for me today. it's It's me you're talking to. It's me you're preaching to today. It's me. I'm the one that's off course. I'm the one that did it. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's looking around but me and Jesus. That's you. Just lift your hand. Where are you? Yes. Thank you. Before I dismiss, I would just ask this before we pray. Is there anyone willing today to take a step of faith like you've never taken before? And you come to this altar and you let me pray for you that God and you can get it right again and you can give it all to Jesus. I want you not to leave here the same way you came. I want you to leave here different in Jesus' name. So I'm not going to wait long because I'm not going to mess your time. But is there anybody today that just would like to take that step of faith and say, Pastor, please, I'm going to come and I want you to pray for me so that I don't keep making that same choice. I get my my focus back realigned. I get it all right with Jesus. I want to make sure I'm good to go. Where are you today? Are there any that's willing to take that step? We'll wait just for a moment. Father, as some are thinking about it, Lord, I pray if there's someone here that you've spoken to their heart, God, you'd let them feel it right now. Don't let them leave the same way. Grip their heart, Lord. Let them feel you today, Lord. Wherever they are, God, grab them right now. Just tarry for a few more seconds. No one comes, we'll pray. Father, I do believe with all my heart That I have preached your word today. God, I I leave the pieces of this puzzle in your hands. Maybe it is a word that will help people just think. Maybe some will go home and they'll process it. In the fullness of time, they'll have a conversation with you. 
God, I do believe that your word doesn't fall on deaf ears. But it goes and accomplishes the task it's sent to do. So, Father, today I pray when we get ready to leave this place, God, that you would let us leave here knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been in the presence of the Lord. Father, may you bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us and lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts till we return again. Let the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and blessed Redeemer. And together the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Before, brother, before I have the benediction prayer offered up, let me just give you a couple of things. Number one, we do have service tonight at 6 p.m. We'd love to have you, but we're back on our regular routine. Number two, I will be out of town next week for vacation. Um, I'll be in the beautiful bluegrass state of Kentucky. And uh, I don't know what I'm doing in Kentucky, but that's where I'll be. So uh, I'll be there. I leave Friday. Uh, I will have my phone, so I'm not like on a cruise somewhere where I'm inaccessible. You can reach me. Um, if, if you need something, by all means, reach me. I may reach you if it gets bad enough. You never know. I might call you instead. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll go together. But, uh, but Brother Art, the former shepherd and pastor of this house, will be with you next week. Um, pray for him this week. Pray for that God would give him a word. Let him come next week. I want him to, when he preaches next Sunday morning, Sunday night, for us, I, I want it to be as much of an encouragement to him as it is to you. You know, and most of you know because of his house fire and things like that. You know, he's been through a lot the last couple months with stuff that's happening. I want when he comes to church, God also confirms him as well. So that when he preaches, God lets him know that God's not abandoned. God's not left. God's with him too. And so this week, I want you to pray that God would give him a word so that when he preaches next Sunday that you guys just have... I want 75, 80 people in church next Sunday. I want y'all to be running aisles and having a time in the Lord. And just don't vote him in. But other than that, have a great time. Just have a wonderful time in the Lord. And that I'm going to ask Brother Mike King to close this out in prayer today, if he wouldn't mind. In the meeting following that, we'll be dismissed. We'll see you tonight at 6 p.m. God bless you. Brother Mike. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you once again, Lord, for this opportunity to have been in your house, God. We thank you for the word, God, that you gave the man of God to give to your people, God. And, Lord, I pray, God, that you'll go with us, be with us today, God, and bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.